millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. My name is Dave Hanready and there will be no encore. Welcome to a special standalone interview episode of the show. Uh, Particularly special because we haven't done one of this particular format in some time. As you can see in the title of the episode there, it is in fact a track by track episode in which we break down a brand new album in the company of the artist or artists that put it together. In this case, the artists are Dahi and Paul Noonan, who make up Houseplants, the exciting new combination, the exciting new union that the guys found together in the last kind of year or so. Uh, they released a bunch of singles to date, but the album Dry Goods is now out, and in fact, you can get it on beautiful limited edition vinyl per their Bandcamp page, which I will put a link to in the episode description. Make sure you hit it up and support Great Irish Music. And this is Great Irish Music, I should say off the bat. Regular listeners of the show will of course know that Dahi is synonymous with no encore. He had a long stint as a, as a co-host. Uh, he's a good friend of ours, a good friend of mine. So, you know, you can come at me with accusations of bias all you want. And, you know, that's fair. But I will say, as someone who was kind of in on the ground floor with this new project, I've very much been a fan from pretty much the start of it. So everything that they were doing together kind of hit my wavelength. I was a very much, you know, a keen supporter of this move for both artists involved, really. Um, so, yeah, listen, I can't get past it. He's my mate and Paul's cool as well. But, you know. That's just the nature of these things sometimes. So, you know, I want to have them on the show. I want to get an insight into the process. I want to hear what they have to say about this record because there's been a very good response to it since they started debuting singles a few months ago. And now that the record is here, 
I think people are going to really connect with it that much more. So houseplants, how did it come together? Who are they? What's the story? I mean, look, do these guys need an introduction? Maybe not. Maybe I'll give them a quick one. Paul Noonan, of course, is synonymous with the Irish music scene. He's a mainstay. He's a respected, renowned individual within it beyond just Bell X1. I mean, like whether it's printer clips, whether it's his own solo work or various kind of, I guess, reimaginings of his music that he's done over the years. Um, a very prolific artist, I would say, and certainly a very respected one, a versatile one as well. Dahi, of course, has been more of a solo proposition for, I guess, the entirety of his career. Uh, I guess redefining what it means to be an electronic music producer in this country while tapping into the sounds made of this country. In recent years, though, Dahi has expanded his band, essentially. He's formed a band of his own for the live arena, and I think he's kind of gotten more into the spirit of collaboration that way. Um, he and Paul worked together on his most recent record, Loss, on the amazing Take the Wheel, the solemn, beautiful number that opens that record. And from there, I guess the guys felt that they had more to say together. Uh, this project was born out of essentially them just kind of throwing ideas at each other and then realizing that there was more to do. There was more work to put together. And before they knew it, it was in fact a full-fledged project, which would eventually come to be known as Houseplants. So that's my kind of quick intro. I don't want to take too much off them because this is a really good conversation. Like I say, we go through the record track by track and we kind of get the various stories thereof. Sometimes it's more of a general conversation and there's all kinds of stuff to talk about, whether it is the formation of the band, the direction that the album took, the direction that the music took and the kind of... I guess the kind of tone and the nature of it, the kind of the the push pull of, of of what to do with the songs and why some songs are more propulsive than others, why some songs are more patient than others, and what they ask of the listener and what they invite from the listener in return. Uh, we also get into the idea of music therapy, something Paul Noon is very interested in and has been studying and working towards for the last couple of years in his own life. Dahi opens up about um, a very personal kind of thing for him, which I didn't necessarily know that we were going to get into, but um, he talks about being diagnosed with tinnitus and how that is affecting him as a musician and how it affected his work on this project. We talk about a return to the live arena at a time when, I mean, everyone's desperate to get back to it, but for this project as well, I mean, you'll hear it, man. These songs are born to be played live. We talk about how this is a record born in lockdown, of lockdown, but not to be confined in lockdown going forward. All that and so much more. Um, it's always a pleasure to kind of get to chat to people in person for the show and kind of go through their work on a kind of a, a more in-depth forensic basis while also kind of trying to keep it a bit light. So I hope that we captured that. I hope that we captured the spirit of Houseplants, of this new project, which, like I say... The album, Dry Goods, is out now. You can order it on vinyl. You can listen to it on whatever streaming platform you're into. And I think you'll really enjoy it. And I really hope you enjoy this conversation. And if you do, and if you enjoy what we do on this show, it's patreon.com slash noencore, where you can support us. The price of a pint goes an awful long way, if that's what you're into. Uh, patreon.com slash noencore for bonus episodes, for playlists, for previews every week, and for also giving us the impetus to keep doing episodes like this one. So without further ado... Without further ado, I should say, this is Dave Hanready in conversation with Dahio Droni, Paul Noonan, Houseplants on No Encore. Let's go track by track through Dry Goods. Delighted to be joined on No Encore, long time in the making by Dahio Droni. Hello. Paul Noonan. Hi. Together, they are known as Houseplants, and their debut album, Dry Goods, is available right now. And I'm absolutely delighted to have them both in front of me, in the flesh. It's Unbelievable. Amazing. Yeah, in the flesh. Thanks for having us. 
You're very welcome. Um, you're both very busy. Thank you for taking the time. I guess before we kick into this, we're going to go track by track. We're going to see what we can derive from each one of the, like of the nine tracks on here. Um, the process has obviously been ongoing, been quite a long time in the making. Mm-hmm. I guess for both of you, and I'll start with you, Paul. I mean, like, what does release week mean for this album in particular, as someone who's released lots of albums in the past? Uh, to square L time, all right. I mean, it's... <laughs> It's, um, I don't know, it's hard for it not to feel like an anticlimax <laughs> in that, yeah. you know, the thing is done and we're, I think, having having played a couple of shows at this point and, and that's, that's for me is what the most exciting part of this is, this getting the music out there and getting it, allowing it to percolate and then even the sort of small pieces of recognition we had at the two shows that we did just felt incredible I think Mm. because it is that kind of very hopefully connective music and music that we can bring to 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 clubs and to festivals and and that sort of like we 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 talk about it as this sort of um defiant um uh like a a pining for for these these connective communal experiences and 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 that's it, it it was you know while that was quite a cerebral thing for a while to actually feel it in the flesh was incredible. So mm. release week, I suppose, is a facilitator for for making that happen more often. I think for me, yeah, like I, I didn't realize that like. Uh, generally when you release a single like you kind of build up and you work really hard and you release those kind of videos and you kind of build up with the artwork and you're kind of working really hard to get that stuff and then on the day of release you're kind of just sitting there going like okay well now it's out there and like there's only so much you can do you can share your posts and stuff and I didn't really realize until this year how important uh, the playing live in front of people uh, gives me a sense of meaning and a, a reason to actually release music in the first place because it's just so like you know when you release a single usually then you can go and play gigs and like you get this immediate reaction and you know then what the audience really like and what they're kind of into so like it's uh it's it's such a push to try and get out and play live now that's the real that's the real uh the excitement for sure hmm. okay well we're gonna kick into the record now and helpfully the lead single is the first song on the record <laughs> so it's called what's with all the pine it sounds like this these lies won't tell So that's uh, What's All the Pines, the lead single and the first track on the record. I mean, before we get into the genesis of this act um, and this album, of course, um, I'm always wary, Paul, about asking about lyrics too much. I, I think over the years I've developed more of an appreciation for, I guess, the mysteries and such. And like, you know, maybe it's a bit ignorant to just be like, tell me what it fucking means. But um, <laughs> one line in particular that always stands out to me on this track is these lies won't tell themselves. And yeah. I wonder I wonder if you're approaching that from like a kind of a puckishness point of view. Because I think there is a, like, you know, I, I guess you're kind of synonymous with, with playful lyrics, but I think this act in particular this this construction uh, for me it afforded you to be more of a kind of a player on the stage and a play or something there was kind of more of a like I say puckishness to it maybe I'm reading it completely wrong but when that line came to you I guess kind of is there any kind of inspirations on that uh I mean it's it's, the song is I suppose about artifice and about sort of presenting ourselves in a way that we'd like to be perceived you know 
in, in a lot of ways in relation to our, our curation of our Zoom backgrounds. So I suppose it, it's quite a literal, um, uh, we're telling somewhat, in some senses, telling lies with, with how we present, how together our lives are uh, via our, our Zoom backgrounds. So, you know, you've got to make a bit of effort because the lies won't tell themselves. And, and it's actually a line, it's a line I sort of banked a long time ago. Um, bizarrely, I was, at a, I was at a funeral and in at, at the after show, for want of a better word, uh, a friend of mine who works in uh, in PR was asked by the father of, of uh, the person who had deceased, um, uh, was he still at the, at the publicity and uh, sure, and he, and he said, "Sure, those lies won't tell themselves." <laughs> nice, <laughs> which is a lovely. That's way of putting it. Yeah. Um, I guess in terms of finding truth in this music, though, if I may switch the the kind of into a completely different direction, um, it, it's it's you know it's out there. I think people who've been following this band will know that you guys kind of this became a longer project than was initially intended. Um, I guess, Dahi, like, I mean, like, what were those first steps like? Because of course, you have worked together mm-hmm. with success on your record loss. Um, at which point did you realize, right, this is a band. This is now a thing that I am now full-time in and I, I want to drive forward. It, it actually took a little while. Um, uh, the last time I'd seen Paul before the lockdown was the Choice Awards, um, just before, and kind of the coronavirus was just starting to kind of become a thing that people were talking about and it was getting more and more serious. And I remember having conversations in the Choice Awards kind of going like, geez, imagine if it like took out the, <laughs> the the whole Irish music scene or something like that, which it actually ended up doing. But then there was like a kind of a moment where everybody kind of got into their respective uh, dens and like kind of hid away from the world. And then slowly people started kind of making contact to check in on everybody. And um, Paul definitely did that with me. He kind of, he kind of sent me an email and a, a text message and had um, another track on the record, Companero. He had kind of a demo of that. And uh, that was the kind of the start of kind of working together. Um, but at the time, uh, we were making that track kind of thinking that it might be another kind of collaboration in either Paul's solo stuff or my stuff. Um, but after Companero, there was kind of such a, a kind of a sense of this not fitting in both my stuff or his stuff that um, we needed to think of something else for it. And uh to do that, basically, I had like three or four kind of other demos in my laptop that I thought might randomly suit it. And I sent um, Paul one of them, which was a kind of a disco track, which has that first little bass line from, from What's With All The Pine. And it was just basically a disco track that runs the whole way through with that. And then I didn't hear anything for a while. And then you came back with... Uh, like an amazing like a huge amount of that song kind of completely done and there was a whole separate section so like usually when you're writing dance music you have like these repeated phrases that go for the entire track and they become more and more profound as you as you play them whereas this was like real proper songwriting because we were getting into a separate section and it it, there was an amazing thing where it kind of feels very dancey and then kind of blasts into this very euphoric real kind of playing thing the bass comes in and everything and it becomes a very different track um and uh and yeah it was magic and that was kind of the point where we were kind of going well there's actually kind of a couple of different things here like a couple of set of themes and kind of rules and and different things that kind of make it its own thing so for instance like there's live drums on this record compared to 
a lot of the doggy stuff would be which would be kind of electronic kind of drums and we Paul would be playing the drums fully so they're like live acoustic drums and they're kind of nice and loose and loud and kind of distorted and uh, there's a couple of different rules throughout the record like that that kind of we wanted those live drums in every song and stuff so I think it's a good way to start off the record as well because it's it's kind of a it has all the elements kind of really clear and kind of up front, you know? Yeah. I think I, I remember working on Campanero uh, and sitting in your studio mm. and then, and, 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 and it's kind of, I hadn't really thought it through, but then thinking out loud about what if we, what if we like, you know, made a thing that was a standalone thing and, yeah. you know, possibly an EP or, you know, there was, it was quite tentative as a, it, it just, it, <laughs> That process with that first song, it, 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 I suppose I'd been approaching it a little, a little blinkered possibly and seeing it as a sort of standal of the song and, and as a, as a way of sort of reconnecting with you Mm. in that moment and not really thinking beyond that song. And then, then the trading started. (laughs) And, and, but interesting what you're saying about the meet, the, the sort of, meeting of worlds in terms of like in, in making dance music, as you said, it's often like a single motif mm-hmm. that's built on and you get the sort of the build and release and you get that, that kind of journey. And it's often like, you know, melodically or harmonically, it's two chords pretty mm-hmm. much. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so with What's With All The Pine, I took that, um, that boom, 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 boom. And I started goofing with the piano over it and found chords that worked with that. And then I thought, I'd, I'd love to have like a, a separate section, like that was a chorus that had that sort of like this sort of plaintive thing. And for some reason, I remember texting you at the time and going, um, oh man, I'm on a, like an, I'm on a Tom York anima vibe with this chorus, <laughs> which has ended up like nothing like, nothing like <laughs> but the, I think there were a lot of moments where we, where we, we, if we look now at the process and we kind of listen to where the song started, they're unrecognizable. So much so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. From where they ended. And there is, there is something to be said as well for like that kind of, like you attempt to try and do something, <laughs> do you know what I mean? And then you end up getting something completely different. And you go, that actually works like almost like as a more interesting thing, even though I tempted one thing, I got another. And I think that happened a lot as well, which is yeah. great, you know? So if I can ask like about what's all the pine, um, first impressions, you know, one, one of the oldest cliches in the world, no matter what you're doing, who you are, what line of work you're in, who you're talking to, it doesn't matter. This is the lead single. Was it always lead single? Because I'm, I'm pretty sure, like, I mean, like I've had the privilege of hearing some of these tracks in their kind of early estates, and I probably was like, Campanier is your lead single, man, and it wasn't. So it's fine. I, I can take that. That's okay. There's no... You can make no, peace with that, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well... We went against your wishes. I'll get there, but, you know, like, <laughs> ego is summarily bruised, but... Was that a fight? I mean, like, like, because, like, I think you could have had a different lead single. I think, like, the, like there are enough tracks in the conversation to make yeah. that first impression. But this is the one you went with, and it did make the impression. So I think we we were keen that it come out during, like, during the pandemic proper, because yes. it it was, uh, and, and sort of leaning into that that idea that it, this is this was born out of out of lockdown. This was us in our in our respective caves, like flinging um, bits across the ether, you know, and. It, it, it was a light-hearted take on that somewhat um, awful <laughs> Zoom phenomenon. Um, yeah, it was important to get that reference in. I mean, even when it did come in, it was kind of like I was. It was like a kind of one of the best things about it is that everybody was really sick of Zoom <laughs> at the time. So, like, you really wanted to catch that moment where kind of people were kind of really feeling that annoyance of the thing, and and we're still very much aware of it. You know what I mean? So. 
Yeah. Yeah. And Dahi is also in the hospitality industry and in the <laughs> west of Ireland there's a whole lot of pine I was sitting in my parents' house, which was covered in pine, like all the floors and the walls and the doors and everything. I was just like, <laughs> I was like oh my God, he, he, he's got me. He's yeah. got me. Like whatever lyricism, that's one thing I don't, like I, I don't unwrap the mystery of that too much. Cause like that, like what's all the pines become, has become a fucking meme. <laughs> and like among some of my friends, like, like Zara Hedeman, like regular guest on the show. Like, I mean, like every now and then if one of us messages the other, like she'd be like, David. And I'm like, I know what you're going to fucking say. <laughs> I'm like, go on. And then she'll say it. And it's a, it's a big win for her. <laughs> but, um, all right, that's great. We'll, we'll, we'll move on to the next track. Look at this here, this here window pane. I can breathe some breath and write your name. That's track two, it's Windowpane. Uh, the title conjures up kind of a, maybe a, again, maybe cliche for me to be like, you know, outside looking in, inside looking out, that kind of thing. I guess what I wanted to ask you, Paul, was um, you're someone I would associate with kind of maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but like kind of always having a project, always maybe thinking of new things, new canvases to work within. Um, why this one? I mean, like, at what point like, were you like, well, th- this works? I mean, because again, I mean, like, not to not to disparage my boy Dot here, but like, you know, <laughs> it's a big commitment, you know? I mean, like, it is a big commitment. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, I mean, this was a, was one of the really uh, transformative ones for me in that it I I had re- recorded a version of it. It, it was sort of born. I I I, I um I spent a, a two years commuting to UL to do a master's. I did a master's in music therapy, so I'd go down for two days a week, and uh, I would do a lot of um, goofing around on my laptop on those journeys using an app called Funkbox. <laughs> um, <laughs> And had lots of, I know, yeah. What a band they were. (laughs) (laughs) So it was playing Mullingar. It was just like, yeah, exactly. Mangoes. (laughs) Sweet app, though. Um, And it it, it was this really sort of overcomplicated drum beat uh, with with the the sort of, with the, 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 the plaintive chords and, and most of the lyrics, I suppose, that, that made it through to the, to the final um, thing, but uh, Dahi stripped away all that sort of the goofy funk box stuff and and changed it chordally, uh, very in in a way that was just like it just made so much more sense that that synth riff that that bass riff that it opens with mm-hmm. that sits under most of the track, um, I, and it, it was definitely. It's one of those songs on the record that 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 speaks to this idea of it being greater than some of its parts, in in that both of us bringing things, and it it just ending up somewhere that. I mean, this I suppose it's the most. It's the most, in some ways, complete of the songs in that it has it has sort of an A and B section. It has a sort of it 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 sort of stands as a sort of like traditional song I could knock out on the piano that has. Mm. The, verse chorus thing and then it has um, a, a, a sort of it, it dies away and then it has this has this amazing spine tingling f- for us even to perform it uh, uh, release build and release for the outro and it's, it's one that, that's worked really well live mm-hmm. um, yeah it, 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 I suppose the idea of window pane was again writing on condensation and, and all that uh, 
very sort of um, uh, filmic. I see it in my mind's eye. It's always had a sort of uh, uh, Joey from Friends staring at the window <laughs> in the rain sort of vibe. <laughs> Not to trash the song with that <laughs> reference, but yeah, it, it's quite a sort of, um, again, I, I can't help but, I mean, What's With All The Pine has a similar sort of wistfulness in some ways that... Um, that I kind of wanted to not do a whole lot of, but I think Dahi pulls me back from that uh, tendency to sort of get a little introspective and and, and plaintive. I think, and I, I think that's been a, a really welcome thing. Yeah, well, Dahi, when Paul Noonan comes to you and says, "Joey from Friends, <laughs> put a make song," it happen. yeah, make it, make it happen. Like you're a beat maker, you can. You know, I, I'm giving you three words into my into my process, and now you go off and do this. But no, for you though, I mean, like this is totally different because I mean, like obviously, you know, in the last couple of years, pre-pandemic, um, you expanded your live set, so you essentially like formed a band in that way. But it's still Dahi. You know, it's Dahi Inc. You know, mm-hmm. essentially, like it's your thing. But in this situation, like you guys have formed a band together and then expanded that into a live band. So it's very, very different from what you're used to. I mean, like I feel like Paul is used to this kind of thing. Mm, yeah. But for you, um, it, was it a complete shock to the system or did it just make perfect sense and it was, and it, did it free you up in terms of what you wrote? Because like, like you say, I mean, like these aren't quote-unquote dahi tracks, but they yeah. are. Like they are you. They are coming from a producer. They're coming yeah. from a guy who goes into, and I've seen your incredible kind of bedroom studio with all the beautiful toys that you have. <laughs> But again, I mean, like, I think it's like, like it's pressure, right? And like, it must be. Yeah, I, I've kind of learned in the last like year uh, how I'm actually quite controlling when it, when it comes to music stuff. Like, I have a lot of kind of trust issues that I didn't realize that I that I had. Like for the Dahi live show, I drum with um, Alex, who's this brilliant drummer. who's also the drummer for Houseplants, and like. Uh, one thing I didn't realize is that like for ages and ages and ages, I wouldn't let him play the digital kicks. Like we have a kick trigger now for like houseplants where like when he plays his acoustic kick, it also plays a digital kick. But for literally like two years, I I didn't want to give up the kick from my side of the gear because I was like, if I have this, I can do these things with it. So one of the best things about houseplants has been this like feeling where, uh, I mean, it's a trust exercise, right? It's like, you have to trust the person that you're working with will, um, uh, take this thing and bring it higher than you can bring it, which is like the really exciting thing about houseplants is that like I can bring a track to a certain level and then we send it off to the other person and you don't hear about it for two weeks and then it comes back and it has all these new brand new ideas like that some of them are absolutely incredible and then you can just keep doing that and spinning it around and spinning it around but it's all about this kind of trust that you're going to give this like baby that you've made to this other person and then like that person doesn't go and wreck it like you know what I mean like it's a real trust exercise and and I think that's one of the best things about it is that like I've been saying a few times now that it's kind of the houseplants thing becomes better than the sum of its parts. You know what I mean? It's not just a Dahi track with a Paul thing or it's not just a Paul track with a Dahi thing. Mm, it's like sure, sure. something <clears throat> happens in the thing when it crosses over that it's like way, way stronger than, uh, than Paul, what you're thinking. Can I ask you, as a father, is uh, Dahi's baby analogy <laughs> valid in any way? Or, or, or <laughs> I, I don't want Paul to give me any of his actual babies <laughs> to look after. It'd be fine. God, that's precious, man. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, you, you do, you feel, you feel a certain, obviously, obviously you feel a certain attachment to something you've create, created and there's, there is, as you say, uh, um, a leap of faith when you, when you pass it on to someone to, especially when you're, you've created, so, yeah, the, actually it speaks volumes that you, you, 
what, when you create the thing, you don't just send like a stereo of the thing. You you yeah. send all the constituents parts of the yeah, thing. The so I can then separately. fuck with those things too, <laughs> yeah, yeah. or delete them, or you know, and we go back and forth until we land somewhere yeah. in the sweet spot. So yeah, there's there's various levels of of sort of trust there. Yeah. yeah. There wasn't really that many arguments or anything either. We were pretty... That's coming, though. Pretty good. <laughs> You're in a band now, my friend. Like, and don't be afraid to put me in a space, Paul. I, I, I know I'm, I'm overstepping here as the host of this show, but, you know, as someone who, you know, you are on the podcast for over a year, and we, we mostly got on fine. There was no, on fine. no major rows. Yeah, but, we were right. Yeah, you know, we're cuffing the same cloth, I would say. Yeah. Um, I want to link Campanero to this track, so I'm going to blast Campanero right now. So I'm reliably informed off mic that it's actually Compañero, <laughs> and uh, I do apologise, Compañero, Compañero. But when you first heard it, it was probably yeah, I, I, I called it Campanero. Campanero. Let's call the whole thing off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, one of my favourites. Um, I think it's an immediate track for a lot of people. It has an incredible video. It has important lyrics. I want to get to all of that. But the link I kind of wanted to make um, was that. The live arena. So this track, I think, is immediately rewarding. I think when this starts up, people are going to be like, oh, fuck. Like, you'd run into a festival tent to hear it. Good. Window Pane, um, I think, is maybe, maybe more effective of the overall. Like, catch and release, contemplation, build up, reward the listener after a bit of patience. Uh, it's a patient record, even though there's only nine tracks here. So I guess you've, you've mentioned already that you've played a couple of gigs in this bizarre time in which we're hopefully getting back yeah. to them, hmm. which I'm sure... Even playing a gig, playing anything, must like cover bands must be having the time of their fucking lives when they get a chance to do it again. But I'm just curious as to what the reaction has been, both on stage and off, especially to a track like Windowpane and a track like Compañero. Um, mm. So how have you found it so far? I know it's very much in its infancy, but like, what have you gotten from it beyond just, oh my God, we're back? I mean, the first live thing we did was a, a, was a, a taping of, the, of a live performance in Connolly's of Lep. And even, I remember... Uh, the taping of Campanero then it, the the energy of the of the crew the camera crew were shit like <laughs> yeah it was amazing it was was very immediate it was there was like whooping and hollering from everyone in the building having you know no one having heard any of the songs at that point um and i suppose the most we did so and we've done our since then that was it was last year that was like november 2020 yeah uh, tw- 20 20, right? Um, the, our first proper gig was in Bally de Hob uh, on the grassy knoll uh, at the back of the pub uh, of um, a lovely venue there called Levis's. And then we, we've played a, a festival in Galway called the Grand El Stretch. And at that show, that was a much bigger show and that was sort of the picnic benches, but then people got up and uh, we closed with that song uh, and we had this long extension of the song and it just, it, it was one of those like, we're going to have a fucking ball with this song. Yeah, absolutely. For a long time. And yeah. like, I mean, even with the extension, we were <laughs> came on stage going like, this could be 20 minutes. <laughs> we could really just really go for this. Like it's, uh, yeah. And, and the, the reason why it was the last on that set is because we're looking at all the songs and going like, where do you go after a song like Campanero? Like there's, mm. it's like... 
it's such a belter of a live track. And uh, Is it important not to overload on that, though? Not necessarily in terms of the extended version live, but for example, like like I say, the first, you know, the first time I heard this, I was like, Jesus, yeah. yeah, that's the come on. Yeah. And I, but I think, you know, maybe does it, does it unlock the, the more kind of patient tracks? I mean, like, is, that, is it important to not have too many bangers, as ridiculous as that might sound? <laughs> like, I guess, like, in terms of just, like, like the, the endorphin rush you get, if you had 10 of these in a row, maybe it just makes it less special or something? I mean, like, was there yeah, much? Yeah, that's mm, true. Boy. I mean, there's always a push and a pull, right? Like, I mean, it, with either records or with live shows, like, there's a, you have to think about, like, where if you go to this, it has to come back down again so you can build back up again. You can't just stay at the same energy the whole way through. And it's the same for any, if it, it's the same for rock music, it's the same for dance music or anything. There's, like, a, a build and release both in tracks and in, like, the entire length of a set, like, you know, so... So when Dahi delivers this beat in your direction or this this Pajet sent line or whatever, is this is that kind of like, oh man, this is like the easiest. It was a remade when like, you had it first, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, this, the song has been kicking around for a while and it was written from my end uh, after the uh, marriage equality referendum. And I remember being in town on the day that the, the count happened and the sort of euphoria about that time, and, and 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 at Dublin Castle specifically, and then just the there was a there was a wonderful feeling to that as a as a sort of uh, another step out of our um, in our, in our transition from 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 a de facto theocracy to a, a proper functioning, more caring state. I think that was a real landmark, uh, and. I suppose the song it, it, for me was an attempt to speak to that sense of euphoria on the day and and a sort of its broader uh, implications. Um, and yeah, so it, it it the fact that it has this very dahi infused windswept uh, in your face from the get go vibe on that is is, uh, is is absolutely enhances that feeling. I think. Is um is tapping into a specific time in history, particularly an important one like this, like does that represent its own kind of challenges about just, you know, getting it right? Yes, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And even to, yeah. I, I mean it's something I felt and, and wanted to speak to, but so it's not to be second guessed. Like I I think everyone has a right to do that, you know, regardless of their own uh, sexuality or their own um their own journey with that. Uh so you can go into a bit of a spin to sort of overthinking whether you should or should not be able to comment on such things. It was just, it was a, uh, an instinctive feeling on my part. And the song, I, I think, really reflects that uh, it's not a cerebral thing. It's, it's a very gut instinct thing. Yeah. Um, and it felt like that on the day as well, right? Like, I mean, one of the best things about it was that both the vote and the celebration was so universal, right? Mm. That it was just like, there wasn't like half of the nation celebrating, like every single person you could think of was up and out and partying. And like, it just felt just so euphoric to everybody. I was at, um, I was at a fucked up gig in Hangar. No and like the, they're, they're known for their like incredible crowd interaction. The singer is always like topless and just like, you know, he's crazy punk pop thing or mostly punk, but like there's a bit of pop in there. But I remember, um, someone wrote yes on his forehead. And like, he's also <laughs> a big wrestling fan. And he came out at the start of the show and he was like, 
I think he mentioned, I think he was like, I believe you guys had a very important day today or something. And like, there's a, there's a wrestler who does like a, a yes chant. It's yeah, just, yeah. Everyone just chants yes and points up and like the whole fucking room did it. <laughs> and like the results weren't in yet, but everyone knew. And it was like, wow, this is, this is something like, this is a moment. But also that was three years ago or no, five years ago. Was good, it like, or, like good while ago. Yeah, five years. I feel like it's like five years now, yeah. possibly. Maybe I'm wrong, but I do think yeah. it was. So like, I guess, you know, I mean like that's not being an opportunistic if it's, if you've been carrying it around for that long. Yeah. I mean, I guess that speaks to its own level of just like care. Um, and maybe trying to just finally get it there. I mean, did you ever think you would? Um, I mean, it's be- it was the first song that I that 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 I reached out to Dahi with, and um, I mean, having a- again having I mean, for me having having been it been introduced to his work. Well, I, I'd kind of I'd, I'd known um, Mary Keynes obviously, and then. I'd seen you play a couple of times and that that command of the four to the floor and that 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 sort of very instinctive uh, uh, ability to 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 sort of chime with the human collective mm. uh, body um, was something that I mean I'd, I I didn't I hadn't really thought, uh, you know, it wasn't, the song wasn't something I was kind of ho- in the vault for the sort of right opportunity necessarily, but uh, coupled with sort of just wanting to say hello, I, I thought this was something to sort of, to throw you away because I, 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 I knew that, 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 that you, that you had that, those, those instincts. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even like, I mean, one of the things about it as well is that, that I find really interesting is that like, you know, it's a song that's based on one of the most happiest and positive times in the country's history. So at a time when stuff is pretty not great, it's like a really, really good thing to remember and kind of remember what we're best at and remember when we were at our absolute best, you know. So like, I think it's kind of a a random blessing that it like comes out at a specific time when Mm. we're kind of really down low, you know? Yeah. I, I got to ask about the video directed with beautiful, beautiful. Shot on film. Yeah, I was about to say, <laughs> took the fu- I was going to say it. Like, beautiful, beautiful film grain by Alan Quigley, I believe. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Wonderful Alan. Alan Quigley and um, Narian did the DOP. Yeah. I feel, I feel like people are going to listen to this and be like, oh, it's just mates. Like, like, I mean, like I mean, he's not challenging them at all. <laughs> But it's an incredible video. If anyone hasn't seen it, go check it out. Uh, in which Paul cycle le- leaves a party with a with a plant in the basket of his bike, <laughs> cycling around Dublin as the sun kind of glimmers and glistens and is in various states of, I guess, energy and life. Um, is that fucking terrifying? Like cycling around Dublin? Like, I, I, like the idea of that alone freaks me out. But to have a film crew coming yeah. up around me. I'd kind of practiced a little bit. <laughs> in a suit as well. somebody had said, you know, you should maybe see if you can sing and cycle. I was like, oh, fuck, I'd never probably done that. So I had to actually practice. But I, I've cycled all, I mean, I've lived in, in pretty much the city centre for 15, 20 years almost. So, and I've, I cycle all the time. So, I'm, and I, I do have a sort of, I've always had like one of those, my wife is Dutch, so and I've always um, I have this bike, like a proper sort of Dutch upright bike that you can sort of like, I don't know, you can be seen and you can look around. I've, I don't understand the sort of hunched over cycling yeah, yeah. business. <laughs> so it, 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 yeah, it, 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 uh, it, it, it was sweet. It came naturally. I wasn't, and most of the streets that we actually filmed on were either closed or like super early in the morning. 
So there was no fear. Uh, the, one, one of the original kind of um, references for that video was a, a Miller ad that was out a good few years ago where, you know, a guy walks out of a party and he gets on a bike and then goes downhill. Oh, yeah, I know. And yeah. goes into a shop yeah, yeah. and gets a beer and then goes downhill again and goes back to the same the party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, And I remember, like, Alan, when he was first listening to the song, it was like the first thing that he thought of was this idea of like this freewheeling kind of thing. And then we kind of added extra kind of influences on top of it and stuff. But uh, yeah, the shooting was good. We, we used uh, a lot of the shot was done in my Jeep. We put a camera in the Jeep and followed in front of uh, thinly veiled. Uh, I have a Jeep drag there from Donnie. <laughs> there was no um, there was no talk of you doing some cycling now. Like, no, 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 no. Like, I, yeah, no, yeah. I don't know cycling. What did I what did we talk about? No, but you were, you were to be the, the guy at the party. I was going to be a, a, a drunk dude at a party, Excellent. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I got dropped. I, I wasn't in inspiration enough, obviously. Snubbed. Snubbed, exactly, snubbed. snubbed. It's a tough business, it's yeah. music business, man. All right, track four. When I when I fourth track on the record it's called No Stopping Me and this is the part where Dave gets literal uh, Paul you mentioned that you've worked before with like the idea of music therapy it's something I spoke with you about when I interviewed you a few years ago and I was very fascinated by it I'm just wondering if like No Stopping Me and like when I hit my stride there'll be No Stopping Me and the repetition of it the insistence of it I wonder if it's like a mantra I wonder if it's something that musicians need and I guess more I mean like, if you could even just tell us a bit more about just like music therapy and kind of what that means on a basic level what it's given you and the importance thereof yeah uh, it is. It is a mantra. Um, when I hit my stride, there'd be no stopping me. I think it. It. I haven't really spoken to sort of maybe uh, self doubt and uh, and sort of um, it's, I suppose a a persistent sense of inadequacy on some levels um, in 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 a song before. But I suppose that's the journey that's that the song hopefully makes is. Um, is is from it, it kind of opens as this sort of like plaintive, almost like uh, singing a song in the corner of a, of a sort of busy bar, and uh, it, in that sort of like the piano's been drinking Tom Waits sort of thing, um, and then builds into this kind of hopefully empowering, defiant thing, and. Um, you know, I think all music is therapeutic. It's in, 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 on various levels. I suppose music therapy is a sort of is trying to sort of distill that and capture it and, and and deploy it clinically in 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 settings like hospitals and schools and nursing homes. So, but on a more sort of universal level, I think uh, yeah, there's 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 definitely a sort of like self-administered. <laughs> music therapy going on in that in that song um and i think if you can speak to that successfully uh for yourself you know it's contagious uh music added it's it's about sort of chiming with other people's experience of being human in the world yeah um and we've we've even had a, a again in the two gigs we've done, it's one that that has an immediate connection, even though it's, the song isn't out yet. Because the mantra is sung so many times, people when I pick it up. Stride, there'll yeah. be no stopping me. There, there was there people singing it by the end of the song. I remember in Galway that time, but yeah, 
Well, there's a communal sense to what you guys are doing on this record. I think I think like people want to be fucking heard. You know, people like 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 people want to be heard. They want to listen to. They want something to kind of shout along with or whatever. And I guess in in unwrapping a house plan song, while they're still I guess being written, still being defined, like what is a house plan song? But I mean, like to me, it sounds like an invitation a lot of the time. Good. Great. Yeah, I'm glad it's inclusive and it's. Uh, we, we, I mean, we've spoken about this before that it is, it is, it was, it was conceived and born in lockdown, but we don't want it to have that sort of introspective, gloomy, isn't it shit sort of vibe. <laughs> we wanted it to sort of, as Dahi has said, to sort of punch through that fucking gloom and be a be a defiant thing and speak to the you know the the the, the triumph and so. Uh, in some ways of the, of the human spirit in this mm. moment. Mm. Uh, before I come to the music on it, um, one more thing on music therapy, if I may, because um, I'm wondering, like, you know, like, to me, to me, music is therapy, but, like, maybe that's, like, a subconscious thing that builds up in you over years. I think the idea of it being applied on an academic level or in medical settings or whichever, I, I, I can't help but feel that Ireland is just so far behind the times that the idea of, like, a doctor prescribing you, like, a CD <laughs> or something is, it will be laughed out of the building. But, like, I have to assume that there are people working within this field that you've probably seen and you, like me, you probably have experienced in the last few years of just seeing this firsthand, what it can do to people on a, on a more kind of, I guess, con- not controlled, but I guess directed level. Mm. Um, I guess, like, I mean, like, is this a new kind of breakthrough thing or has it been around forever? I mean, like, it's it's such a fascinating kind of concept, yeah, I think. I, I mean, we're, again, we are, in Ireland, it, music therapy is still somewhat regarded as a sort of uh, esoteric, uh, unproven thing. It's very much plugged into the NHS in the UK, across Europe, Scandinavia, in America, and Australia. It's a lot more established and accepted, uh, uh, clinically proven, evidence-based intervention. So, um, you know, I've, I think my my most sort of uh, connective moments with it is um, I, I, I both during my training and and now. As a as a practitioner, I, I have clients um, in in a nursing home, so I have clients who are living with dementia, uh, and music. Certain songs I would have you know learned about their lives through their loved ones, and learned maybe about certain significant songs, and just seeing how they react when those songs are played, how they can sing when they have no longer uh, can speak, um, and then. With, with ones with people who are a little a little more high high functioning, being able to sort of co-write a song with somebody at the you know at the end of their life that speaks to aspects of their life and and where they've come from and their family and meaningful things within their their own life is 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 just so it's such a powerful thing to be able to do with somebody both for the person themselves and and their loved ones. So, I mean, the, it is sometimes hard to uh, there's there's the sort of you know. Uh, Speaking about music is like dancing about architecture. <laughs> thing to it, you, it's it's hard to convey uh, what it does without sometimes being in the room um, and, and 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 I suppose witnessing what how it's helping somebody in the moment. Oh yeah, I mean, listen, man, I've been writing about music and talking about music for ten whatever years, <laughs> and like, if I love something. Forget about it. I, I I can't explain it. It's it's completely intrinsic, completely mm. physical, and that's one of the reasons why I love it. Yeah. Um, I guess on the music side for both of you, um, in terms of arrangement, construction, and and this track I think is one of the longer ones. It's almost seven minutes long. Mm. As Paul kind of spoke to as well, like you know people are having an immediate reaction to it in a live setting, which is great. I mean, do you go in like thinking about those moments, or does it just is it all a bit flow? 
this this one for me was really interesting. Like I had this the synth line for a very long time, and it is this synth line where it's kind of I remember sitting in there with one of my synths and basically having it run and, and letting it go out of control, and then having to try and pull it back into something that was actually sounded rhythmic. Um, and it was one of my favorite things about that synth sound. And then uh, when I sent that out to Paul, Paul had brought back like that amazing kind of intro start with the piano and everything. And uh, my immediate reaction was I was like, okay, cool. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna get. Paul Noonan walks into a cafe and there's a piano and he just starts playing. And then at some point <laughs> the lights go out and a disco ball descends from the roof. You and, and the then, disco ball. <laughs> and then I just like will rise everything up and suddenly it'll be this amazing disco track and like everybody up and dancing and stuff. And that for me was like just this very simple, very clear objective that I could like build from it. And then after that, then it was all about kind of the, the, the tension release and bringing it out and bringing it back in again. And um, I absolutely love that when I hit my stride, that we don't stop me. I, I think one of my favorite things about Paul's songwriting is this um, kind of ability to kind of take uh, very Irish phrases and not make them cheesy and kind of make them like these amazing kind of powerful gut punches of things that people say kind of you you you've heard a thing all your life and to hear it in music in the right way is really special so yeah it's one of my favorite lines off the record for is, sure no stop me is that a, the, jesus there's no stop me no stop me is now. that an irish thing yeah suppose it is yeah oh jesus there'd be no stop me certainly now. co-opted as an irish <laughs> yeah, thing okay. yeah, 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 it yeah. becomes one of those things paddy lassie for instance paddy lassie there'd be no stop me fucking paddy lassie <laughs> reference onto this onto this wholesome intelligent like of the soul podcast and with that let's have a song I'm hanging up my spurs Oh, how the sea rages And how the fire burns That's track five. It's called Mannequin. Uh, this one in particular kind of speaks to what I was speaking to earlier on the idea of like the play. Like, like to me, like, like fair enough. It's Mannequin. That's what the visual is. But like, I actually went a bit further with that. Uh, pretentious lad that I am, and I was like, oh, it's like a puppet on a string. Like you know, it's a dark stage. It's face paint. It's it's vaudeville. All the world's a stage kind of thing. Um, this to me is the most kind of theatrical one. I think. And yeah. I, I think it's a combination of the rhythm and a combination of the vocals. And I guess it's like it just feels very like one act play or something I okay. mean like is that ever is that ever like like do you have to become someone and even like you know you guys are wearing suits there's a look to the band in terms of image and in terms of stepping into a role and maybe like forgetting like a Dahi a Paul Noonan this is a different thing does that come into play or am I just being that guy it at the does, party does no it does absolutely I, 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 you know we're going to make a little after this we're going to make a little intro video for the for the for the for the album and I've brought my suit <laughs> And uh, he's like, you're not wearing your suit. And I said, oh, I, I kind of like, I got to, I, I'm, I'm, I got to sort of inhabit the suit when yeah. I'm wearing this. If I wear the suit, I wear the suit. Um, yeah. You know, so it is. There's, there's a sort of an element, element of stepping into character Absolutely. in the suits. And this song, you're totally right. It, it is again our small taste of playing live. It's one of where I tend to sort of inhabit a sort of character, character yeah. and do a bit more of. It's it is quite sort of as you say vaudeville in this, in its delivery. It feels like I kind of go there naturally for some reason. It, I mean, the, I had this piece of writing uh, from uh, we had a 
with Bell X One, we had a day off once in Gary, Indiana, which is where Michael Jackson is from, and it's, it's an awful. It's one of those uh, places that have been decimated by. I don't know, the collapse of local industry or whatever, but the all the main street is like full of boarded up shop fronts and then liquor stores and just it's one of those sort of like straight out of central casting uh, lost American towns. And there was one department store that had just closed down and it had a couple of like fucked mannequins in the window. And that they always tend to, when you look at like mannequins that have sort of, there's, 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 they've been abandoned some, somewhat. There's always like there's broken wrists and there's like handbags hanging <laughs> in sort of various ways and, and just general uh, decrepitude. I mean, one of the notes I've written down here in front of me is mannequins are kind of terrifying, no? <laughs> yeah. They are? Yeah, they are. But like it's like a next level clown thing or something. <laughs> like a Stephen King it. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you read my mind. Or, uh, or just that yeah. yeah, just that weird childlike thing of like yeah. they're not real, they're not quite there, but it's there. Yeah. Yeah, and the kind of the, the bass and the rhythm and stuff on this stuff always kind of makes me suggest that there's like a mannequin that hasn't been moving for a while and then it suddenly moves and that's like freaky as all hell. Like, you know. Yeah, I mean this does feel designed for a visual for sure. Yeah. Is that yeah. important to the music or is that does that come later? Um it 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 is like I think that there's we don't want to go too far down that um, the, the 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 darkness I suppose that is inherent in the in that imagery and the the sense of that that sort of childlike scary factor there's a, the foil to that hopefully is the chorus that says love is the meaning and love it is the means mm. you know there's a there's a sort of um, hopefully a redemptive quality to that, given the sort of the scariness that's going on in the verse. Yeah, so I mean, I guess with regards to the overall, you know, not USP, like I don't want to be like, you know, how do you, how do you market the band? But like you're an independent band, people know who you are, but like you don't have the budget for, you know, fucking million dollar videos or whatever, but you have been creative and inventive with the presentation, mm. the initial kind of teaser videos, you guys wearing suits and these kind of like long distance shots kind of on mm. empty Dublin streets at six in the morning, which I know that you got up to do as commitment. <laughs> Twice, man. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> so, well, I guess, like, I mean, like, are you guys co-musical directors, co-art directors? Oh, that's, that, Dahi has been incredible at driving that end of things. Uh, yeah. I mean... But like, you're all over the, 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 the visual, the, the film end of things, the photography. Yeah. Like, I know, and it, I mean... The suit thing was a sort of, I don't know, for some reason it, from the get-go, it's it was like, let's, like let's do this thing. in suits. Yeah. Well, I think I think from from start to finish, I mean, one of the reasons, I mean, one of my favourite things about it as well is the is the um, the consideration of all the artwork and how everything feels like it rolls into each other and the design and everything does feel like it's all together. But honestly, I think that comes from just maturity of like having done acts before right like when you're coming up to this thing it's like oh man like if you have a clear distinct plan of the whole thing then like first of all it's really helpful because you can always draw back from that well um and then also like it's just kind of it feels like it feels more like a kind of a much more considered thing and it has more confidence to it and everything as well um as a musician in this kind of age, I've kind of brought it upon myself that you kind of have to know how to do all of that stuff because um, the only way you can do music full time now pretty much is by 
like learning how to do that stuff. So like learning how to do video editing, learning how to do photos, all that kind of stuff is super important because you just wouldn't be able to afford a release otherwise. And like one of my favorite things that we've been doing to bring it back to the live shows again is um, Sinead White is one of the, the uh, is the pianist on our, on our, in our band and she has like a really nice camera and I have a really nice camera. So before the shows, there's just these two lovely cameras going around and people are taking pictures of each other. And like after the show, you get these like lovely pictures from before the show and everybody's all dressed up and it feels really, really cool to have them. And, and the day after you get to kind of edit them out and put them out and stuff and yeah, it's one of my favourite things about the shows is like that, that kind of side of things, you know. You can't just be a musician anymore. You can't. You well, can't just I mean, be a musician anymore. Apart from the imaging side of things, the, the, the recording, like actually yeah, making, do, doing the rec- again, which you've been all over. Um, and 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 I can record as well. I've been able to, we've been able to both hmm. do that. And that used to be a really intimidating, I think I've, we've talked about this before, that used to be a really intimidating part of, uh, and expensive part of being in a band, you know, that, that traditionally you'd go and spend X amount a day in a studio and look at all this intimidating gear and have to employ somebody else to drive it. Whereas it's one of the really empowering things about, I suppose, the digital age is that you can make perfectly service, serviceable records on a laptop and... Uh, you put them out online yourself as well yeah absolutely scorch the earth poison the water we bid us every retreat someday we'll get this house in order no ringing in my ears but not today That's track six. It's ringing in my ears. So we're like about two thirds of the way through the record now. I mean, in terms of putting it together, finding the narrative and what you want to say with that narrative, was that always clear or was it much left in the cutting room floor? With this, the record as a project? Yeah. Or I, well, well, I guess like picking what makes it or was it just like how ruthless were you in terms of or did, did these nine songs announce themselves forthwith? Uh, we, had, we had a few good, a little bit more. Yeah. And then we cut the... Um, I mean, I suppose notionally, this the manifesto of it being a sort of up, positive, bright-eyed thing was all very well. But I think uh, um, I've always tended to, I, I would feel like somewhat, I, I, I'd kind of feel a little bit imposter syndrome if it's only that. Like I tend to write... Um, I think the genre is Moni Hole, I think is what has been described in the past a little bit. So having a couple of more plaintive moments, I think was something goes wanted. Yeah, it definitely goes back to this thing we were talking about before as well, which is like for every high you need to go down so that you can go back up again. Yeah, just to to, to have more light light and shade. Yeah. it, it, It accentuates both. I, like I, I wrote a lot of so like the arpeggiator and the bass line and the drums and stuff I kind of wrote a lot of that in uh, Beekeepers at one point I was doing I think I did two weeks uh, on my own in the Beekeepers and uh, it was over the lockdown and I developed tinnitus for the first time and like 
I think it was something to do with like being in such a completely quiet place on my own for so long. And I had like three or four days of that real, if anybody has developed tinnitus before, it's like the, the start of it is always the absolute worst because you're thinking of nothing else and it's affecting your sleep and you're freaking out. And this was the next thing I wrote after developing it. And I like, it definitely has this kind of I felt very separated from the world and stuff. So there was a kind of a, a like a outside of space kind of thing going on. And, and uh, it's definitely kind of a bit more sadder and introspective than I had before. And uh, yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You, um, sorry. Uh, you, like you told me about the, the tinnitus thing about a year ago, probably at this mm-hmm. stage. And obviously like, you know, when I saw the title of the song, I wondered, but I, I wasn't even necessarily going to mention it on mic here right now, <laughs> but you've done so. So I guess, yeah. I mean, like, at the risk of asking the most basic question of all time, like, I mean, like, how are you doing with it? And like, what is, you know, like, like, because it's something that a lot of musicians, a yeah. lot of people in live industries and such will perhaps inevitably suffer. Yeah. Uh, like, I mean, yeah. Honestly, like, it's, it's almost completely grand now. <laughs> like, like, it hasn't changed. The volume of it hasn't changed. It hasn't gone up or it hasn't gone down. When it happened, and I remember texting you about this, the, the thing I was really worried about was that, um, if you get tinnitus a lot of the time as well, you also get hearing loss or you l- lose like certain parts of your, um, of, of the spectrum of the EQ and stuff. So, so the thing that I was really worried about was that it would affect how I mix and how I listen to music and how I perceive music. And that was the the scariest thing of, of the entire thing. Um, so I went to the hospital pretty much immediately, like kind of, uh, a day or two after I kind of got it and, uh, I did a hearing test and my hearing is all completely fine. So um, and I've always been really careful of this stuff because I remember being like 19 and being up on a festival stage and two speakers twice my height on either side of me Jesus. because like the big like house, like, like, uh, tents are always these, like just these giant speakers on either side of you. And I remember just looking at them going like, how is that not going to physically hurt me <laughs> at some point? <laughs> so like, I, I was always like super careful. I use in ears when I'm live on stage and stuff. And just this tinnitus like came upon me and then, uh, and then I went and got a got a hearing test, and I'm 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 absolutely fine. And then after that, it's just a case of like acknowledging it, and then just kind of letting it run into the ether because you can kind of it just it just kind of is there always, but it's only there when you really pay attention to it now. So yeah, and I mean like not to be fucking morbid or graphic or dramatic or whatever, but like I have to imagine for a musician, I mean career wise, yeah, like those results are the most important results. Like oh man, like. Oh, I, I like, I remember like going into the, the, it was like an antechamber. It was like this like box completely silent. And as soon as I stepped in and they closed the thing, the, the tinnitus just rose in volume because there was no other volume around the place. So all I could hear was this ringing. And then he would play notes in my ears uh, and uh, I would hear the different notes and I would press the buttons and stuff. And then I came out and he was filling out the little form and he was like, he was like, you've the best hearing hearing of anybody I've tested this week. And I was just like, oh my God, thank God, thank God, thank God. Uh, and, uh, yeah. And then after that, I felt a lot better about the whole thing because I just know so many people who has it and I was able to call friends who are also musicians who have gone through it. And every single person said the same thing that just after a while, it just blends into your background and you kind of get used to it. Um, I guess it's like, it's a weird pivot, but like, I mean, we've mentioned the idea of music therapy and about even like, you know, digital age versus analog age and such. And I mean, like, um, Paul, for someone who's been around the Irish music scene for a while, I mean, like, especially like now, there's been so much conversation in the last kind of year and a half about like, you know, the industry being shuttered and everything. And I think whether it's someone developing tinnitus, whether it's gigs going away, 
I'm always kind of surprised by the public's attitude towards like the vulnerability like of a musician, like mm. or an arts person or whatever. And I'm always so surprised by it because I think it's like something you engage with all the time, whether knowingly or unknowingly. Um, I guess just in terms of like your own kind of stance of writing vulnerable music, tapping into those kind of areas of your life, and maybe even you know, inhabiting characters, but certainly trying to unlock emotions and sensitivity. Like, are we are, are we guilty as listeners of just being like, oh, I like that song, that's fun. But there can be like incredible waves of just like like pain and kind of yeah life. I guess I guess life experience, not necessarily like a bad negative thing, but like having lived and having experienced and having lost and all that kind of stuff. I'm just drawn in by it. And a song like this, I think, kind of reflects it because like it's so it's teasing. And the release is there, but you mm. got to work for it. I, I again listening to you again, Dahi, talk about it. I mean. It, it, it it is, I suppose, the only song on the record where I've taken something quite sort of uh, per- personal and 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 affecting that's going on in your life mm. and tried to ro- speak to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lyrically, um, and yeah, that's that's quite a. I mean, because I remember you talk when it when it was when you were in the throes of that initial "What the fuck is this? Yeah. And what, how is it gonna is it gonna fuck me up?" Because I, I've lost part of my voice occasionally, and I've had similar fears because it's it's not like breaking a fucking guitar string or a drumstick or like, yeah, a bit yeah. of gear going down. It's like you've, you've what are you good for? Like? No control over it. <laughs> and you, there's no way back sometimes from that. Yeah. In terms of are we are we um, a little numb? I mean. Yeah, I mean, there's in the super saturated modern age of sort of uh, emotional. There's a lot of emotional pornography flying around as well. Like, what's what's real just because you feel it doesn't mean it's there. I've always loved that radio <laughs> headline. You know, um, I think you know we we just we again we try to 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 make music that chimes with other people's experience of what it is to be human and. It, that can, it it can, that that can work in a in a, in a way that yes, it it chimes with somebody's experience of of something, but it's not it's not your it's not what you 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 were speaking to. But who gives a fuck? It's as long yeah, as it's up to them. It's, like, it's yeah. up to it's about it's about delivering an emotional kick in whatever whatever that means. Yeah, um, I think people like have this idea of people just being like bulletproof because they're coming through a speaker or something. You okay, know? Yeah. and it's like it's refreshing. I think when it's laid bare in such a way that you know it's real, like you know it's not just playing for the cheap seats. It's not a cloying thing. It's like oh shit, like he's hurting. Cool, so am I. Maybe he gets it. Mm. Um, and I think that comes across. Like I mean, like it's 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 a, it's a difficult song for that reason, but I think it will have a long term impact for that reason. Right. Good. Yeah, because again, musically, it's it's um, it's it's very sympathetic to to to, to what you've just mm. spoken about. I, I feel it. It's it's quite it has that sort of arching yearn to it. It's 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 the slowest song on the record, and it 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 um, I don't know. It's very evocative. I think. Yeah, I I just remember when 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 uh, I got back your lyrics from it as well, and there was this kind of moment where I was like, God, there's a really interesting kind of thing where it's like, 
like Paul is speaking to me from across. It was like one of the moments in the lockdown where you were, it seemed everyone was very far from everybody else. And I just remember putting like an effect on your voice. You hear it in the first, um, in the first verse where it's like almost like a radio style thing where he's coming in from the satellite kind of thing it's and like speaking to in. something. Yeah, 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 exactly. Which I, which I absolutely got so excited by when I was doing it in there. I was like, Oh my God, I've never heard Paul's voice like this. And it create it adds and creates like this massive atmosphere to it as well, which is great. You know, that's awesome, man. Uh, yeah. Let's have another one. That track is called Burning. There was a sharp and take a breath from Dahi as we played it. And <laughs> what I have written down here, and I wonder if I wonder if the question was answered uh, yes or no, is this song named after the excellent Korean film of the same name? A thousand percent yes. All right. Why don't, you, why, why don't you recommend that film, first of all, to listeners? Yeah, well, like, I mean, I remember, I think you put me onto that film and uh, I was just so drawn to the whole thing. It's just an absolutely incredible film. Super long, uh, super slow, but like incredibly powerful. And it has this amazing soundtrack that I was so influenced by, which is this repeating bell sounds that kind of come through. And like, it just kind of suggests so many things and yet adds so many questions. Yeah, it leaves um, you more questions than answers. Yeah. Like, is, yeah, that, yeah. is that important as a songwriter for, for both of you with this project to kind of ask questions and not give everything away? Um. <laughs> Again, the the. I mean, it's the, the. Sometimes I feel like in explaining where songs came from, you're sort of like it's quite kind of reductive, and yeah. you kind of realize how kind of small minded you are, as opposed to somebody's having painted this sort of big canvas with what, with what you've done. So, I mean, all we can do is sort of throw things out that suggest and not necessarily describe, in any sort of t- too detailed a way. Um, for me, this again, this is a lovely sort of triangle going on here because you put him onto the movie and then he put me onto the movie. Some, we <laughs> should know? all be on Letterboxd, guys. That's all I'm saying. You know? I watched three films yesterday. You know, that's grand. <laughs> and 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 in trying to speak to that movie, then both me lyrically and and uh, and and Dahi musically was one of those great. I love having a sort of. This was one of the one of the songs that that had quite a sort of you know, specific brief in that sense, that, that that's what we're trying to do here. Um, the sort of, the, the menace in it, the sadness in it, the sort of, uh, the, the, the fucked family situation going on in it. You know, there's, 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 there's so much in it and it's, it's so visually beautiful as well. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it's it's just so immediately inspiring as a film. Like it's just really, really incredible. And uh, and yeah, it was just like I, I remember watching it my second time in about a week. And then as it finished, I went into the studio. And I just went like, that sound is so cool. Could I make something that feels like that? That kind of like slow, kind of jazzy, repetitive vibe that has a bit of menace to it, and it's kind of metallic, but like dark and deep and cold and. And then I had that sitting on my hard drive and then, and yeah. then I sent that to and you. I, and I'd gotten that new keyboard, that organelle. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. That has the, those bonkers drums on it. That, yeah. it's, it's a little sampler, really. Yeah, so all the drums uh, that are cut up came from this organelle. Like. 
And there's something really, I love getting a new instrument. It's like a new toy that you just feel really invigorated by. And, and I think that sort of playfulness is, is infectious when, mm. when you can, you can, I love hearing records uh, like Vampire Weekend are great at it. I think like discovering new, where, where you hear the excitement with which something was embraced yeah. in the studio, like yeah, a yeah. little goofy toy or, yeah. um, it, it's, it's lovely to hear that. You can kind of almost hear the smiles and how they, how they were kind of exploring Absolutely. the instrument. And I, I mean, I, this, when I got the organelle, this, it sort of started smattering all over this record. So hopefully <laughs> there might be a bit of that. Yeah. I mean, like, I guess like, like that's a, I love that. Like, I love the kind of just the giddiness in, in that, in that kind of thing. But like I mentioned earlier on, like you got a room full of beautiful toys over there as well, Dolly. So like, <laughs> Do you ever have to be like, I, no, I can't, I can't, I, I can't fire up the Moog today, which I'm probably mispronouncing as well. <laughs> well, there's a couple of, there's a couple of different, with, with music gear like that, there's a couple of different things. Like as, as Paul says, when you get a new piece of gear, the number one rule that you do is um, you plug everything in, press record when you first start playing with a piece of gear, because the first like 20 minutes, you could come up with something that sounds absolutely incredible. By and accident. if you're not, yeah, by accident, because you, you don't know how this piece of gear works. So you're pressing buttons that you never would and like figuring out stuff and then suddenly you have something amazing and if you haven't pressed record you're in trouble <laughs> and then there's like a couple of different types of gears then as well there's like there's synths that I have that are like workhorses that I use for very specific like I want to get this sound so I will build it with the sound and then I have some gear in there that's like you make yourself a cup of tea and you sit down and you press record and you sit there for an hour and like you'll find all these little random little bits that you like you would you're kind of like falling into by accident and some of those are the most magical things but you would never intend to do those and and that's the beauty of synthesizers oh wow <laughs> well you, you've sold me and you've sold me into an interlude let's hit it <laughs> So that's uh, Reveler. It's the penultimate mm -hmm. track. Paul was just telling me there that uh, it's one that you're still trying to work into the live setting. Because um, to me, like I'm like this is like it's almost end credits or something. Like it's it's got that kind right. of dreamlike quality. Yeah. Um, feels kind of video gamey to me. I know Dolly's a huge gamer. I don't know how how, how much you get involved, Paul. But 1942. That's my my one <laughs> <early>. <laughs> on the Atari. Do you remember that baby? <laughs> it's been a bit better before yeah, my time. Okay. I do. <laughs> I remember this is the first yeah. time that's been said in this relationship. <laughs> He's a millennial. Well, so am I actually. Like, what, what, what am I fucking saying? But yeah. So Reveler, um, nine track album, uh, patient album. Was it always, yeah, we have to have an interlude before the end? What's, what's a patient album? Patient album I think is one that you need to kind of take time with. But I think I think most albums, like, you know, you should at least give any album you're reviewing two weeks. But you never have okay, the fucking okay. time. This is the problem. Whether it's an hour and a half long Drake album, you know, even though I'm like, I know this is going to suck, but i got to spend time <laughs> with it. But I think the Housebands record, which again, I've heard for a few months now, and like I threw it on today before doing this for the first time in a while, start to finish, apart from just cutting the audio yesterday, like I literally just threw it on while I was working just to see like what I would what I would hear in it without paying attention to it. Okay. And I think I'm at that level with it now where I'm like, I know the record so much that it does feel like a second skin. But I do think that you, like, yeah, we mentioned Companero. I'm never going to pronounce it correctly. Companero. I got it. Like, we mentioned the idea of, like, re immediate reward versus listener engagement. And I think, you know, that's here. But, like, again, like, we're dealing with a fucking lack of attention span generation. So right. I'm just curious as to yeah. where Reveler fits into that idea and the idea of the record itself, really, and why it's why it's here and why it is where it is. It's the one with the most amount of iterations, isn't it? It's like this had, I would say, 50 ideas one after another, like 
one right. idea, two idea, three idea, four idea, and then like and removing no vocals, them slowly, no vocals. And uh, yeah, there's like, there was like so many iterations of this. And then, uh, and then what happened? Something happened where it was after, it was like a clear up of the lockdown and you came down and something clicked in it that was really proper. It was the, the piano chords. I had I'd hit on a certain type mm. of piano chords that had suddenly flipped it on its head and it was out of the record and then we nailed it and then put it back in, right? That was the thing. I think, and it has that, like the drums are super sloppy on it. Yeah. And I think we've, 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 we, there's a few tracks where that's the case, <laughs> but hopefully they're in the sort of the right side of the sort of human feel as opposed to sort of being metronomic and sort of snap to grid. Um, I, I've always loved the sort of, Paul's boutique era Beastie Boys drumming and percussion and that marriage of, 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 of the drums and percussion that those guys had and I, and I recorded that piece in my studio and, and very much had uh, had that in mind um, mm. again this started as the as the organelle yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, bing bong I bing think bong. it was the call for a minute and um, I suppose we'd, we'd seen it we, we wanted a sort of, we wanted an instrumental sort of palate cleanser on, on the record yeah. Um, and something that had potential for to to sort of develop it live as well, but there would be some level of recognition, yeah, from having it on the record. Yeah, because it's going to be it's a really fun it'll be a really fun one to play live with drums and everything. Mm-hmm. And then it's a question of finding a purpose in an interlude in a live show, right? That's like the big push. Um. I mean, currently my, my thinking on it is that it's like a really good build up to a final smash. Like that's, that's what it is for me. Like I kind of feel it as like a, like you kind of build a crowd at the start of it and then you drop into the second half and it's like this kind of super kind of energetic, like the synth in it is so kind of euphoric as well. It's very kind of like hands in the air and everything. And it also feels very like a jam session thing as well. So yeah, it's a fun one. Mm. I'm hearing uh, I'm hearing walk on music. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> okay, set the tone, get the crowd yeah. ready. Yeah. I mean, we when we were planning out the live show, we we like went back through Reveler and all those extra pieces that we had removed from it, and actually are using um, an unheard part of Reveler as our intro. So like, there's sections of Reveler that's in other parts of yeah. the show now, and. Uh, and you have to go see a live show to hear them. Also, Revel- <laughs> Reveler, Reveler was an early name for the band. Yeah, that's right. It was, yeah. and like, let's be honest. When I heard it, <laughs> well, when I heard it, I was like, I was like, I, I think I was very, I think I had a strong, staunch. You had a no, friend, yeah. hand on the shoulder reaction, and I was like, oh, you don't understand. Yeah. I was like, it amongst, needs an intervention. Here, yeah. <laughs> I was like, amongst the music journalist community and beyond, the word Reveler has become so synonymous with like, like I would throw it into every report that I would do for festival, like ironically, like a dickhead. Yeah. But like it's just that thing where like it's the classic, uh, you know, rain failed to dampen yeah. Reveler's spirits on <laughs> day was, two. That was my yeah, selling point to it. It was yeah, like yeah. a real like you want, to be, you want to be subversive. Yeah, like tongue in cheek about that thing. Like you know, I, I feared when he told me. I was like, I was like, I think people will will will, will take. I one think look you said you can't do this. I did, I think, I think and, and you, you were like, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, there is a Dublin DJ. Yeah, DJ guy. Reveler, lovely guy. Great, great guy. DJ Reveler, or who had like bought up all the domains and shit. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think Houseplan suits you guys. Like, so, like, thankfully, imagine I was like, I'm here with Reveler. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I'll get him on the show. All right, last track on the album. Let's go. Wait and see. 
song is called Wait and there is an exclamation mark in the name <laughs> of the song and I know look Paul you make good points you put me back in my box and as you should have I shouldn't ask too you know you, you don't want to ask too obvious too too drill down explain the whole thing to me but the exclamation mark has yeah. has, has thrown me into the abyss that's Dahi that's Dahi he was insisting, <laughs> insisting we use a non uh, numeric uh, <laughs> character somewhere <laughs> yeah uh, I, again it's been an interesting exercise to listen to through to the songs and talk about them I, again there's there's quite a bit of um, there's quite a bit of uh, uh uh, self-doubt or, or um, inadequacy here again uh, that that sense of wait wait the, the, I know it's in here somewhere you know there's that sense mm. of like you know where are you going like people walking away <laughs> I'm not necessarily talking about a sort of specific incident when that happened but sometimes I, I, I suppose I do feel um, I, I, I ain't all that and uh, and at this it's, it's it's sort of odd that I'd be maybe still feeling like that at this stage, but um, again, the music hopefully takes that and it's it's uh, tempers it somewhat. It's not a downer. It's it's and and there's a, it, there's also a, a sort of um, I suppose a defiant coming in hot. It's coming in hot moment which i suppose is similar to 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 the no stopping me sentiment yeah that's true um i mean the song the melody of the verse anyway was very much informed by there's a there's a, a talk talk song called new grass i don't know if you know that song it's got a really beautiful guitar line in it which i've always thought would make a really beautiful vocal melody so it's very much sort of I've wanted to, and and the talk talk song is it's, it's a completely different thing, and it's quite it's really beautiful and sort of downbeat, and so I've I've, I've I love that that we've made this sort of again quite immediately up and defiant thing mm. with with this sentiment, yeah, um, and again you've you've taken it you've taken that sort of potentially. Down, downer moment, and 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 I think I think when you when you t- sometimes when you when you take those sentiments and but you present them in a sort of juxtaposed way, it makes it 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 just it adds to to its appeal. It's not as obviously sort of. I, I think that juxtaposition is 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 far more appealing and far more interesting yeah. than a straight up downer. Yeah. And, but like, I mean, that kind of, that sense of inadequacy thing, I think everybody has that in some respects. Do you know what I mean? Like that's kind of a feeling that everybody has, but when you mix it with a big communal hands in the air moment, mm. then you're kind of, you're saying more than just, Oh, I don't feel like I am. Yeah. It's not imposter syndrome. If every single person here is sure. feeling the same way. So yeah, like yeah, yeah. if you mix those two things together, you could just get something really yeah. fun. I it's think. The, the, the sad honest. banger. Vibe, the sad right? banger. Yeah. Sad banger. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love that genre, but like people are always so resistant to categorize themselves within the sad banger community. Oh, but, you know, sad the best. Embrace it, man. Yeah, um, the thing you said on the dance floor. The crying on the dance floor. The thing, you, the thing you said there about like you know the oh wait I'll, I'll, I'll get it. Like it, it's like that kind of 
staircase width thing, the French thing, where it's like, you know, like, oh, fuck, that's what I should have fucking said. Okay. You know? oh, yeah, yeah. It'll come to me later. But like, <laughs> you know, it's just in that moment where you just kind of freeze. Um, I guess like beginning the album versus ending the album. I mean, is it a, like, because, you know, I, I'm sure you guys as musicians who make albums will agree you want the album to continue to have its kind of weight, have its kind of, its impact, its substance. Um, even though, you know, playlists and such in, in the world, that's kind of how we, we consume music in, like, in very different ways. But it is important to have a, a narrative. It's important to have a closing. It's important to have that kind of full stop where the credits do stop rolling and the House Pants logo comes up on the screen. Mm. Um, was that a thing that you found, like, what kind of journey was that to, to, to close the record, to know when it was done and know that you were happy with it? I mean, I definitely have that same thing that you have, the credits rolling thing. Like, I definitely have that sensibility in music as well. And I actually think that Wait has a real, like, you know, the second song when a cin- when you're walking out of a cinema where it's like the much more energetic yeah, yeah, thing yeah. that everyone's like, okay, cool, off we go now. That's and it's for the real ones who stay behind for the rest yeah, of the exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I definitely have that sense. And, and I do describe certain songs as like, yeah, this is like a rolling credit song. This is like a thing. Like, you know, <laughs> totally have We didn't even well. rehearse this. Like, I, like, like, I just knew. <laughs> I think, I think... We we could have kept going. Yeah, like we. Uh, I've said it to you the other day. I have this thing, and I'd love to. Yeah, yeah. Think it could be a real thing for us, and I'll send it to you. And I, you know, I, 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 I've had. I think we could have kept going, but I think it was important to stop. Yeah, there was a conversation had where it was like, when do we stop? And like, and, and then and it's like, it okay, I think we need to stop now and then mm. do this. Like, which is a great thing to feel, though, Dahi. Like we, that that that. Oh yeah! Again, I'm feeling like we could do more. Like this, this yeah. has legs, and 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 we'll do more. Yeah, hundred percent. Like um, it definitely has that feeling, and and there's kind of, I mean, we're still like all the elements that are in this album that we're kind of excited by. There's a massive well of stuff to explore in those things that are we're really excited yeah. by. So like. You know, it'll be, it, yeah, it definitely has a huge amount of legs. And it, 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 one of my favorite, again, one of my favorite things about House Plants is that it has its own complete, unique identity compared to our solo stuff for anything we've done before. Um, and that's that's what's really exciting by it. And anybody who's gone to the shows has said the same thing. So it's great. So one of the really interesting things for me is is in the live show, or getting together the, the live show, mm. the sort of tension between the sort of traditional band approach and the sort of the dance music approach. Mm. Whereas you would have... Your your own shows. You you have the computer and yeah. everything is running from the computer as MIDI speaking to the various instruments yeah. and playing the parts. Yeah, and you but you're you're shaping the parts exactly as yeah. they come out in various ways. But you're not actually playing them yeah. very often. Exactly, and I'm like. Ah, oh, you're fucking enchanted. <laughs> you have to be playing. Who's playing that? Because I still like, go to gigs, and if I, if I if I hear something that I can't see played, I'm like, oh fucking! There's only a lad up there with a mini disc. I'm not doing fucking anything. Yeah, yeah. So I still have the very old school idea of what a gig should be. Yeah, and there's a great push and pull on that on the, on the live show as well. Where yeah, it's kind of like, I, even in rehearsal, I'm like, would you think about playing that there? Don't you? you know? Yeah, yeah. And I'm coming from the other end where I'm like, well, we have a piano, we have a bassist, we have a drummer, and we have a vocalist like my job is to create like the extra flavoursome stuff that goes around that stuff and then you do that by adding in lovely samples or delays and and you only have two pair of hands so you need to be doing that while the stuff goes on and suddenly you're more than just a band you've got this like Hmm. world that's coming out on top of everything else but it is it's again it's it's not I know not reinventing the wheel but it's a hybrid of Hmm. that uh, traditional electronic music world where 
you know, it's 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 predestined. Yeah, everything yeah. is on the grid, and stuff is being played by the computer mm-hmm. to the instruments, and then you're shaping the sounds of the instruments. Uh, and also, we like the, the live drums, bass, yeah. piano, and then everyone's singing. Uh, and it's sort of where it, there's a bit of a sort of tension between where one begins and the other, uh, where one yeah. begins and ends. Absolutely. Um, and I've, I've really enjoyed sort of that, especially that weekend. We spent a weekend in a, an Airbnb in Cavan yeah. where we got the live live show together and there was lots of sort of... Figuring it out. Figuring that shit out, yeah. yeah. And and like trying to land in a sweet spot that has... The liveness. That has live, but yeah. that, that has the sort of, uh, as you say, the, the, the sonic identity of the record mm-hmm. coming from your world. And has the potential to sort of react in the moment to yeah. to a crowd and change it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that, like my bugbear with it, would often is like performances should never be the same from night to night. Like they, 100%. they should always be an uh, parameters left open to react to <laughs> the space and the time and the crowd in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, like, I went to see that that Tame Pala show in Three Arena. And it was just like, it just felt like they were dialing it in. I mean, it was visually spectacular, but it was all to the grid and it was going to be the exact same from night to night. And I just, I find that, yeah, for me, it's not, it's not what music should be. And I, I think that sensibility is also, uh, particularly with Irish audiences, is, is like a, a thing that most people feel as well, like. Um, we've seen bands like kind of the Galaxy and stuff. Like, I mean, people get so excited when they see like actual instruments being played, even though it's dance music. And it's almost like a, I think a lot of I think I think a lot of Irish audiences take a little time to actually come to accept dance music at all. So presenting it with this lovely live kind of physicality, um, physicality, yeah, mm. exactly. It, it like makes Irish people so excited and it's like got this real I think it's ingrained in us as well that the kind of the actual instrumentation and stuff is super is important and yeah I mean like one of the really funny things as well is that like you know uh, our first couple of shows like the Galway show and stuff we have like Paul fans and Dahi fans going to the same shows and these these like amazing energy exchanges where like I look out and there's like a, a table of Velux One fans and then just past them is like a guy taking off his shirt and spinning <laughs> it around and going yeah and everyone going like oh my god what is this so like oh, that could be a Velux One fan I, I, that could be a Velux One fan I absolutely could you don't know that uh, and, uh, did you, did you like, ask him <laughs> I didn't ask him I was too busy playing music post game uh, survey Vox Pop yeah, yeah but yeah, I, do, yeah, I yeah. do find that very exciting that like you know there's this kind of you want to make an energy in the room and and uh and yeah it's starting to happen yeah for sure well like this is what happens when you put two showmen together the last word i'd written down there was future but you've kind of said that there will be one so i'm glad to hear that so i guess <laughs> same time next pandemic is that the, uh, <laughs> Touch wood. that's house bands everybody thank you both thank you thank you thank awesome. you very much Thanks once again to Dahi and to Paul. I really enjoyed that. I hope you did as well, listener. The album, of course, is Dry Goods. We went through it there. And you can get that album through Houseplant's Bandcamp page, which, of course, will be available through Dahi's socials, Paul's socials. We'll put a link in the description of this episode as well. Beautiful, limited edition vinyl, always worth having in your collection, especially when the album is as good as this one. So congratulations to them. And I'm really glad that you tuned into this one. I'm really glad that I got to do it. 
um, busy time for the guys, as they were saying. And I was kind of wary. I was like, fuck, is this just like, am I bombarding them with their own music? Is that is that gauche or something? But I think it was good. I really enjoyed hearing all of their insights and all of their kind of personal little side stories as well. Dry Goods is the record. Houseplants are the band. They will be playing gigs as gigs come back. And I would make it your mission to be amongst the people at those shows. For now, though, my name is Dave Hanready. This has been No Encore. You can support us on patreon.com slash no encore. There will be no encore. And we're back very soon with the regular show every Friday. Check it out. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.